The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Keoghan, Head of Content Partnerships here at Provoke. And with us today, our CEO of Red Havas Group and Global Chairman, James, James Wright, and Merck KGAA's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, Renee Connolly. In this episode, we'll be continuing to examine the themes of purpose, specifically in light of the potential upcoming economic downturn. We'll also discuss the themes of holding companies accountable to their purpose-related promises and the intersection of professional and personal purpose, which is on the rise. James and Renee, thank you so much for both being here. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. James, would you... um, quickly introduce yourself and then also just kind of let us know we've we've talked in one episode before but um would love to hear from you on on where where this conversation is going to take us and Red Havas's continued work in this space yeah sure thanks um Megan um as 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 you point out I'm the global CEO of Red Havas and the global chair of the Havas PR Global Collective we are a a team of about 1,300 consultants working in PR and public affairs uh, all around the world, um, supporting and counselling clients in pretty much every industry, as well as government agencies and NGOs. And we've done a huge amount of work in this space in terms of purpose. And particularly in the last three or four years, we've been producing a number of reports that have looked at uh, at this both pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now as we we look hopefully to be, be in a, a post-pandemic world very soon. Um, it's an important, it's a topic that's that's really kind of like, I think, um, important to us personally, it's important to our clients, and increasingly it's in, important to um, the society and communities in which we operate. So delighted to be back here to be able to discuss this a little bit more, um, you know, and I'm also be de- delighted to, to welcome one of our fantastic clients and a brilliant communication leader in Renee Connolly, who joins us today from Merck KGAA. Thanks so much, James. Thanks so much, Megan, for having me. It's wonderful. So I am indeed Renee Conley here in my capacity as the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for Merck KGAA, Darmstadt, Germany. Uh, We operate globally, uh, 70,000 people worldwide, uh, business specialties in the biopharma, life science, and um, electronics uh, arena. And it's exciting. I am uh, 18 years on my journey with the organization and just took on this responsibility about a year ago at the request of our newly appointed chairwoman, uh, Belen Guerrejo, who asked me if I would be willing to, even though I'm a communications person by competency, uh, take my passion for purpose uh, to the next level and help uh, our organization um, move forward uh, and really really take to light what it means to build a more inclusive workplace uh, at Merck and, uh, and our organization and what it's gonna take for us to move the needle in living the purpose every single day. So thrilled to be here. Very excited to share this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you both. Um, I think this is just an exciting conversation as we've been building so much all year on the topic of purpose in many conversations. Um, But the putting it to action, the measurement of it, the quantification of it, and the qualification of it all have, have such different meanings and where we can go. Um, and I think it's, it's an interesting time to be, to actually be qualifying what it is that we're doing and how we're keeping companies accountable, how we're documenting that success and that progress. Um, James, I know that you've been working with 
partners kind of in this space. And I'm interested in hearing a little more from you about um, some of what we're starting to see in terms of measuring and, um, and, and tracking where the needle goes on some of these um, things. And if you're seeing trends, if you're seeing, um, if you have predictions about like what are going to be those measures that really stick. Yeah, sure, Megan. Um, so I think, you know, to, to think about what's happening today and what's going to happen in the future, we also have to kind of look back and see kind of where, where we've come from. And, you know, we discussed uh, uh, some of this last time when uh, when we discussed, when we went through kind of the, the previous podcast. You know, we've been following this topic for many years and looking how really it's been, you know, disrupted, uh, rethought, redefined and actually kind of reset, particularly during um, the global pandemic, but even before the global pandemic erupted and the outpouring of support for greater social justice and the resulting protests, as well as the even more polarizing nature of politics, consumers were applying more pressure on brands to demonstrate their purpose and take a stance on issues that mattered to their stakeholders. Um, you know, how can they do well as a business as well as doing good at the same time? And so we started looking at how purpose was being redefined as one of the key themes in um, one of our predictions, our Spread Sky Predictions Report in 2020, and that's our annual report that looks at predicting, predicting what issues uh, business and society would be focusing on in, uh, in communications that year and beyond. And it's come up in every report since. Uh, indeed, we produced two or three other white papers that specifically dealt with the issue of purpose called From Pledges to Progress. And of course, there are many genuine leaders in the ESG space delivering on corporate purpose, but there's also, we also need to recognize there's also a great cynicism from certain quarters about some of the claims, pledges, and, and real world outcomes or lack thereof uh, of business in, in other spaces. Indeed, one uh, Financial Times journalist said that when they read most businesses ESG claims that the ESG should stand for eye roll, sneer and groan. Um, so, you know, the past few years has really seen, you know, ESG, though, come back onto the agenda in a big and redefined way. You know, despite, you know, the current rising energy prices, climate change and global conflict, it remains really at the top of um, the agenda. And I guess what we're going to see now in the future is that purpose pressure tested again, as we potentially enter into some economic headwinds. And, you know, it's not just in terms of you know how we are managing the business and and from a outward perspective and and all of your stakeholders that are external, but very importantly now it's also about proving your purpose and your commitments to ESG to internal audiences because you know beyond influencing how people buy, purpose or the reality is that purpose has also begun to have a bearing on where people work. And as a proof point of that, a recent study by Deloitte, for example, found that two out of three millennials, two out of three, and this is a generation that will comprise approximately 75% of the global workforce by 2025, will primarily choose an employer because of its purpose. Renee, that builds so well into some of the previous conversations that we've had um, highlighting this intersection of professional and personal purpose and um, mission-driven involvement and engagement, both in a company and as consumers. So we've seen a lot of this pattern demonstrated by consumers, but now our employees are also thinking about where they work and where they engage in a similar way. Um, and I'm curious, like at Merck KGAA, are you finding in your practice and as you unroll these types of 
uh, initiatives uh, and influence there for that the type of work and engagement that you're hoping for. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the question, Megan. And I can't agree more um, with what James just said. It's no surprise to me that that's where the data is leaving us. You know, as part of an organization that's 353 years young, so we've been around for a while, I think it's fair to say, uh, with a 70% holding by the family, you know, there's always been this eye on purpose sort of at the center of who we are and what we do. And when we look at our demographics, I would agree with what James stated. We look and say 50% of our workforce will be millennials over the course of the next two to three years. That's our prediction. And we know from our exit and our intro interviews and onboarding efforts that one of the number one questions that our candidates are asking is, what are you doing in the ESG space? What's your work um, that you're running from an environmental uh, from per perspective, especially because we're in the life sciences and health business. You know, people really want to understand. We're working with things that they want to know. If I work here, can I stand by credibly and say I'm working for a good company? So defining that is very critical. From a, a DEI perspective, which is what I kind of oversee, we're also seeing an uptick there. And that is a result of a lot of what's going on, not only in the US, we're seeing what's going on in uh, countries around the globe from a social injustice perspective. And I think that that's influencing as well how we make this an environment where people really want to belong. And what they want to know is they want transparency of data. That's a very important component. And that's not very easy because in some countries and some jurisdictions, you can't self-ID as much. So you run into things. So I think as a management team and as a leader, I'm always trying to move the bar a little bit. I'm very proud that at our organization for the first time in September of last year, we expanded our dimensions around some of our ESG work and DEI beyond just gender parity. Um, we are trying to work for that, but we've expanded those dimensions around inclusivity. What are we doing to build a more inclusive workforce, as well as building around um, equitability in the sense of um, culture and ethnicity. So what are we doing to build um, and support our underrepresented communities within our organization? So I'll talk a little bit more as we, we have our conversation about how we're building community within our organization. But what we're finding is that they're, they're not only doing it to check a box, they're actually making a job decision, as James mentioned, yep. as to whether or not they want to join, join your organization. For us, we're proud to say that we advance human progress. That's a very big um, big phrase and has a lot of meaning to it, but we need to make sure that we're advancing human progress, not saying we're doing, we got to be credible and walk the talk. It reminds me so much of um, James, we had, all three of us had had some previous conversations, just kind of learning about this topic and space. And James, I have a note when you were kind of explaining this at the beginning about um, how we're, this isn't just a hygiene issue anymore. This is now uh, holding accountable and what is the walking the walk look like and walking the talk look like um so it's interesting or just noteworthy that we now have data there and to your points renee about um like fostering something as mo monumental as community like it's not something that you can really just uh check a box it, it actually has to be authentic um, so I guess it's a, a question for James, but both of you, like, what are some of those very tangible metrics that we can use to start to measure progress and measure, um, how well 
companies are staying accountable to their promises or or delivering on this authenticity in their values. Maybe James, yeah, so, you want to take a stab first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think um, it's it's critical to answer that question to, to, to be able to define what your purpose is and actually do that very specifically. So, you know, purpose and ESG are strategically linked. Purpose answers the question of why your company exists. What positive impact do you want to have it on the world as an, as an organization? You know, why do your employees get out of bed in the morning and come to work? And, you know, that particularly that issue has, has become a bit a big one. And that usually then is un, underpinned by, you know, purposeful activity, which would often then take the form of an environment, social or government factor. And so, you know, being very specific about what your purpose is, then you can start to decide actually, well, these, this is, this is the world that we want to um, impact. And this is the, the progress and the, um, the difference we want to make. And of course, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So you've also got to be specific around, um, you know, what those environment, social and government KPIs are. Um, it's interesting that the, 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 the word social in ESG has, has been a big <clears throat> Uh, conversation in places like Davos, where you know it's been much easier to measure environmental and government governance-related kind of factors as opposed to the social one, because you know you know environment, for example, but you know that we would talk about how much recycling you're doing, how much waste you're creating, how much CO two, for example, it might be that your that your organisation. Um, you know, uh, re releases to be able to do its business, whereas some of those social pieces have often been quite sort of soft metrics. And so how do you get to a point where you can actually start to understand the difference you're making to, you know, the social part of your, your business? And so yeah, ensuring that you've got a, a strong sense of purpose, then setting out what you're um, you know what you're what you're going to achieve and be very measurable in terms of what those outcomes are in terms of ESG is hugely important and it's in, it's more important today than ever because ESG is being used by investors and stakeholders to value a business and so you know if they're putting a value on that that is then kind of obviously going to have a, a direct impact on um, how successful your business is going to be or can be sure Renee a like a two-pronged question here from a employee engagement aspect is it engagement or outreach in attracting your talent and then off of that when you're building these communities to share values and find the commonalities is it first is the question first who do you want to be as a company or is it who do your employers employees and your talent say you are based upon their shared values, like which comes first? Um, I, I think I would categorize it in two different ways. So I would categorize it into enrollment and authenticity. So let me start with the enrollment. So is it about engagement? I also oversee our employee engagement uh, for the for the network. Um, and you can get lots of people engaged in lots of things. But in my opinion, you then result with a, a big population potentially of individuals that I call dissatisfied compromisers. They kind of just sit there, they're with the organization, they're moving along, they may be doing their job very fine, but they're not very engaged in necessarily what needs to be done. Enrolling them is more of the action than they are willing to take to kind of be a participant in the cause that you're trying to move forward. So, you know, intrinsically in our business, we make drugs, 
we help companies make drugs and we provide, you know, equipment, tools and services in the electronics and in the industry, like the semi industry, that is remarkable. So by nature, we advance human progress. So we have a pretty good purpose as a company. I think what employees now want is more than that. And this is what we're talking about on the ESG. They want to know that you're also giving and enriching individuals in their professional development journey, in their uh, communities. So our ERGs have expanded. We have probably about 10% to 15% of our employees who are involved actively in an ERG. And ERG is an employee resource group. So like women in leadership, leaders of color, our um, international community, people want to know that even if their manager or people within their line are not of the same ethnicity as them, the culture, race, gender, sexual orientation, that they have a community to go through. You can't just say you do ESG if you're kind of not balancing these other components in the organization. That's what I mean when I say authenticity. Um, and I think that that's a big component. Maybe the last thing in both these categories, both on the data piece, on the enrollment and on the authenticity, you know, we are businesses, so sometimes we're a little more risk adverse to doing things. And let's just be honest amongst ourselves, although investors in the outside world are, are, are having us be accountable for some of these things, there is risk in disclosure of certain demographics, certain data points, certain information. And you have to get, you know, a risk tolerance within your organization that everyone feels a little bit comfortable with, right? And that's uncomfortable. And so I spend a lot of my time aligning the organization around why we're doing something and not just because the employees want us to do it or it's the right thing to do. It's what's nurturing the growth engine for the business going forward for candidates that are in our organization and for candidates that are coming into our, our organization. So it's an expectation uh, that we're doing this as, as authentically as possible. So I think as we kind of move along this journey, um, it's, it's not just about uh, sending out an engagement survey. You also um, really have to follow feedback. You can't just get like feedback fatigue. You can't just keep surveying people and asking them the same thing. You got to take the feedback and then you got to reiterate in your organization. And that's why I think having some transparent metrics that you can stand by that are achievable as you move along is a key component of um, success in this, in this area. You just touched on kind of what was going to be my next question, which was, it feels very one-on-one to say, how do you get the feedback? Are you sending out a survey monkey? What is it? But really, how do you start this process? You know, I, I think like anyone else, a good organization is going to inquire amongst their population, amongst their communities, what it is they're sensing and feeling in the company and how do they want to move the needle? Yes, we use traditional surveys. We use uh, very progressive, um, larger assessments about how included do employees feel. So it's not just about, do you like your manager? Do you enjoy working with your manager? Do you feel like this is a good workplace? We've kind of been much more oriented about the inclusion perspectives. And we're asking them perspectives, both from an internal perspective and an external perspective. And, you know, I think as a company, you have to make a decision once you get this feedback you're either going to be, there's three categories. You're either sort of a supporter in the ESG space, a partner, like kind of middle of the road, or you're progressive, 
right? And not every company is going to be progressive. Um, and I think you have to be, though, true to what you are. And that's what I always say to people. If, you know, we might not ever be the most progressive company on some topics, but we're going to do what's right for our business, for our customers, for our employees, and make sure that we're doing it for the communities in which we live and work. And as long as we stay true to that, I think that then your employees then can make a decision. Is this the place I want to be or not? Um, and I think we, you know, we have to kind of just make sure the marriage of the purpose with the actions together kind of um, brings that along. And you get a lot of that insight from the feedback and from the surveys. You just, uh, a lot of people say to me, oh, well, there's feedback fatigue. I don't believe in uh, a survey fatigue. I believe there's feedback fatigue. I think people give input and feedback. And we as communicators, I'm wearing my other hat, have to do a good job of marrying how that feedback results in um, action and next steps. Thanks. James, your role a lot at Red Foss in, in, in advising brands in this way is to sort of take the fruits of Renee's labor or uh, other company partners' labors and translate that from an, an investor standpoint or show where the value lies within a company or how successful they're being at something. And I'm wondering what that um, sort of how do you, how do you grasp that conversation to relay, you know, the, the effectiveness, but also when some of these things take time, there's not immediate ROI always on them. There is a process to implementing. There's a process to gaining feedback. There's a process to building community. If it's a real community and sense of community, it's not happening overnight. So how does that conversation look or how does, how do you, maybe it's metrics that you're putting in place along the way or benchmarks, but what do those elements look like? Well, uh, well, Renee talked about transparency of data, but I think there's also something about transparency of the story. And, you know, you're right. A lot of these things, you know, aren't a silver bullet. They don't happen, you know, fast. It's a, you know, purpose often is a, you know, a decade plus long sort of journey for many organizations obviously we're working with organizations all over the world but on both sides of this actually in terms of you know corporations that are looking to improve how they operate in their society and communities but also with you know NGOs and government organizations who are also acting as agents of change in this and I think it's it's worthwhile being transparent about the story about what isn't working what you know actually you know because it's not just about you know obviously everyone wants recognition for great work but there's also I think um amongst a lot of uh, um organizations they want to learn best practice but also want to learn about what didn't work and I think you know there's often a story and actually you know we tried these um, these things and it did they didn't work out and actually being kind of quite open and transparent about that and so that people can learn from it so or you know a rising tide floats all boats in terms of you know approaches to certain you know ESG related um, factors as we spoke about uh, earlier but you know it's about sort of crafting what that story is and, and how that's going to affect a you know the particular stakeholders of that organization and so you know who why are we do, why are we communicating about what we're doing in the purpose space and what is the outcome that we want to see is it because we want to be you know a more attractive place for talent is it because we want to attract a younger consumer or a more diversified consumer you know you need it, it every every everybody's got um 
you know, a different set of circumstances and objectives with this. And I think that's important too, because there isn't a cookie cutter approach to this anymore. You know, when we've gone past the days of, you know, sort of greenwashing and, and, uh, um, purpose washing, um, at least at least in terms of um, in the more experienced markets, in terms of in terms of stakeholders and media holding you accountable to them. I'm not saying it doesn't happen anymore. Of course, it, of course, it does in different parts of, um, you know, in different parts of business and different parts of the world. But I think, you know, it has matured now into a space where, you know, the expectations have shifted, particularly in the last um, couple of years since COVID, you know, there is an expectation now from communities that is different. There's an expectation from um, employees that are, that are different. So there's an expectation from shareholders that is different now. So um, every organization has their own story and then it's our job then to help them craft it to deliver on whatever their objectives might be. Certainly. And in a, in a earlier conversation you had shared with me, um, kind of your personal thoughts about uh, as we enter into the possibility of an economic downturn, how this timing and this moment is actually a pivotal point for the for these conversations. And there may be even a temptation to dial back or scale back in certain areas when in actuality, this is such a critical time for commitment to these, these values. And um, so much so that like uh, companies that are as the most authentic and most true to themselves in your perspective might be the most successful. Twitter yeah, we, we, we believe strongly, and there's a lot of data points that backs this up, that um, you know, if a, an organization that is giving back to society is better placed to be successful full stop, and it's even more so uh, best placed when you're going through a crisis. But right now, what we need is, you know, if people want to be leaders, they need to step up and, and lead and actually demonstrate why they have a title of CEO or have a have a, a market leading title in, a, in, in their brand. Um, you know, we, we've, we're obviously still in a pandemic. Um, we're still facing issues around social dust, justice and, and, and equity. We're still facing big issues in climate change. I mean, look at what's happening um, in Mississippi at the minute or in Pakistan. It's happening all over the world. We're now looking at a potential economic downturn. You know, it is it is now incumbent on those organizations that really want to be seen as leaders to get out in front of this and really demonstrate that purpose is more than a word. It's a it is part of the fabric of their organization. Sure. Maybe I can maybe I can yeah. add on that too, Megan. I think that what you're saying, James, is the mobilization of the employee base to why you're doing this is very important. And I'll give you a really good example, which I've I've mentioned before, which is I'm I'm proudly uh, one of the sponsors. Uh, about six years ago, we introduced a mobile shipping container called our Curiosity Cube that goes to underrepresented communities to encourage STEM and, and, and you know, and STEM and, and women and underrepresented uh, youth around the U.S. that originated. And we've now taken the cube on the road. And originally, when the idea idea came to me. I kind of was like a shipping container around. I thought insurance risk, how are we going to do this? What, what is this really going to get us? But when you talk about purpose and marrying purpose and building brand, well, now we have this at the time of a rebranding launch of the company, this shipping container, which now creates inquiry and people are like, oh, what is that? And you're kind of doing good things. And then you we tied into it a mandate slowly around the organization for giving our employees volunteer hours at the company expense that they can then volunteer at the cube. And, and the other day, a colleague of mine who's continues to champion this um, 
wrote, wrote a LinkedIn about a gentleman in our organization who said, um, I'm sorry, I can't uh, talk with you right now, sparking curiosity and volunteering in our communities. If you haven't, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. And then the website and talk about brand and purpose coming together, right? And, and the fact that the manager approved the time off, the company supports the time off, the individual goes and takes a breather, because we also have this time of mental wellness and health and well-being that I think is also compound, compounding this. So it's not just ESG because the investors wanted it and the world wants it and the CEO should be doing the right thing. It's also the fact that you can kind of be a catalyst to kind of get those employees to be working as part of it. And I think the rewards there, um, you know, salary and compensation benefits all still very, very high on the list. But we're also seeing that this is very high on the list too. the ability for them to give back and to participate and be a participant in the purpose, I think is a critical component of what we're seeing of change. And we need to nurture that uh, in our businesses. And it does pay back to the brand. I personally want to go find track down the curiosity cube and figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Um, I guess you've, you've already just answered a number of my questions in a row right there, which was, um, how do you, how do you instill that desire or shared passion for common ground? And, um, if, I'll, I'll leave us with one last question for you, Renee. Um, you've spoken a lot about finding the commonality and um, how we've, you know, in the past historically focused so much on, on identifying differences and, and tracking those differences to make sure that there's inclusion, but um, shifting the conversation and the perspective to what are our shared values. Um, and if you could just speak, I, I think it's just interesting for um, people here to hear your perspective on, on building those commonalities. And, and um, you say it much better than I do, but if, if you'd share your perspective there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the reality for me is that you could have many metrics in this ESG category and every day it's changing. There'll be things that are required by the countries, the states, the government and, and those aspects, but you have to kind of reflect and have some of this transparency in what you're trying to measure and move towards be homegrown. What I mean by that is uh, we did a lot over the last three years, especially um, post, uh, you know, some traumatic circumstances around the globe, have very real, authentic conversations with our employee base and really listen to them and help their insights and input shape the way the ESG targets are set and how we work to achieve them. Um, Because it's not just about kind of doing the fun things. And this is hard work. You know, you have to, from a sustainability perspective in our business, adapt processes, change the way people think, really look at science from a different perspective. That's going to impact climate change and the environmental factors. From a social perspective, you know, we've had employee bases Uh, that have been large populations in certain regions around the world. And now we're saying we're going to be more intentional about the deeper, you know, look that we're taking to kind of diversify the employee base. And we're going to ensure that we have these communities where people can have these, you know, really honest discussions. So I think this component of really making sure that it's not just a top down, these are our targets, having the communities and the organizations help you to be part of the fabric of building that is going to be critical for success as we move forward. And I think it enrolls them 
in really ensuring that we're delivering what we say uh, to the credibility of walking the talk. I love it. Uh, I'll, I'll end on one closing question that this has sort of your last thoughts sort of prompted. Um, no right or wrong answer, but for both of you, with that perspective, uh, is it the employer's responsibility to educate the community and their employees on these topics that are very critical, or is it their role to listen to the community and determine where their priorities stand? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's both, right? Because, and I think this is true of all agents of change, and you know, you know, businesses are can be an agent of change, and the same way that our government leaders, governmental leaders, can be our uh, leaders in society are, you know. But you are only going to affect change if you listen and then you act, um, and so it requires it requires both. I don't think it's a, a one or the other answer. At least that's my point of view. I, I'd have to agree with James that it is both. And I, I do think maybe though right now we're in this, we're in the world of educating both on, on all fronts, right? We're learning, we're, we're moving minds here. We're, we have mindset shifts that have to be made. And we, many of these businesses have been very successful over time. And with the downturn potentially coming and with the world a certain way, we have to kind of be, a little bit more savvy and really educating ourselves and the employee base so that there's a better understanding of uh, where we are. And like I've said before, we're a lot more alike than we are different, especially in our companies uh, and our employees. And we just got to find that commonality and uh, figure out a common ground to move forward. A great closing thought. Uh, thank you both for being with us. This is Renee Connolly of Merck KGAA and James Wright of Red Havas. Thank you both been a great episode. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Take care. This has been the Provoke Media Podcast and I'm Megan Miller. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist marketers.